Good morning, Mountain View. All right, what an amazing day together already. Um, I love Sundays. I love Sundays. It's when the body of Christ gathers together, it should be life-giving. It should be reviving for war-torn, weary souls. I hope that's the case for you. It is for me. I've just celebrated four years as your pastor. And um, I, what I've seen over four years is... Uh, thank you, John. Appreciate that applause, my friend. You and one other. It was awesome. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> hey, there we go. Stop, 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 stop. No, I didn't mean it for that. I, I was just meaning in four years of being with you guys, man, that has been consistently true of you. You are a church that is life-giving. It is so fun to be a part of this church. I love you. And... Um, I'm so thankful to serve Christ with you guys. It's just a blessing. Well, we have actually just a few weeks remaining in our uh, True and Better series. We're trying to uh, bring things to a close before we get to Advent. Believe it or not, we're almost to Christmas. That's hard to believe. But um, one thing we've seen all through this series is that after Jesus died and rose from the dead, he spent weeks teaching his disciples that all the scripture is actually pointing to him, that he's prophesied about, that he's patterned, that he's even present in the Old Testament and um, that he's promised. And we've been learning to reread or we've sorry, been relearning how to read our Bibles. And what we've discovered has made all the difference. So if you will find your place in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter six is where we'll be today. I'm going to dig into one of the most well-known stories in all the Bible. So see if you can finish the title to Daniel chapter 6. It goes like this. Daniel and what? You got it. The lion's den. So that's our our, uh, text for today. Um, The book of Daniel, as you're finding your place there, the book of Daniel is about God's kingship. It's about the, the fact that God is king and that he has the power over death. Daniel reveals God's glory and ultimately he's pointing us to Christ. Uh, A little bit of context as we are going to be in chapter six today, but chapter one begins and Daniel and his friends have been recruited to be trained up in uh, uh, trained up as up and coming leaders in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. So the people of Israel have have been exiled there. They are dispersed in the Babylonian kingdom now. And so Daniel and uh, his friends, three of his friends anyway, are being trained up for three years. They're learning the language, the culture of Babylon. But in chapter one, we see that they refuse to be spoiled with the king's food. They refuse the scraps from King Nebuchadnezzar's table and said, no, our God has actually given us dietary laws and we might be in your kingdom, but he's still our king. Right. So this is how chapter one begins. And there's actually a uh, kind of a wager. Daniel says, look, you, you take your best looking guys and feed them what you want to feed them. And we're going to eat what God tells us to eat. And at the end of 10 days, you just look and see who looks better. And um, I, I told my wife I was going to try that, you know, but it didn't play out that way for me. Um, Well, God honored their faithfulness, honored their obedience, their dedication to his ways, and and he blessed them. Chapter one. In chapter two, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream 
but none of his wise men can interpret it. Nobody can help him understand what he's dreamt, and it's sort of plaguing his mind. It knows it, he knows it means something, he just doesn't know what it is. Well, Daniel prays. God gives him wisdom to interpret the dream. And he interprets it for the king. And it's a, it's a powerful interpretation. The king praises Daniel's God, believe it or not, as the giver of secret revelations and wisdom. And he elevates Daniel to be chief over all of Babylon. And so this is the end of chapter 2. And in chapter 3, King Neb builds a giant golden statue. Pretty famous story. We actually sang a little bit about that a moment ago. He builds this huge golden statue, and instead of musical chairs, he says, when the music plays, you need to bow and worship the statue. And all the people of his kingdom obey, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are found standing firm and saying they will not bow to any idol. They will only worship the one true God. And so again, we have this compulsion to compromise, uh, this Uh, The people of God standing firm. There's this massive trial thing that happens. And then God is exalted through it all. If you remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fire. And the king looks in and he counts not one, two, not three, but how many? There's another in the fire, right? And he looks in and he says, this one looks like the son of man. Pretty powerful stuff. Here we have the presence of Christ, right? In the Old Testament. So, um, well, then they came out. These guys didn't even smell like smoke. And it was a miracle. God had miraculously saved his people. They were faithful to him and he proved himself to be faithful to them. One thing that stands out is what they said, you know, before they went into the furnace, they said, you know, our God, he is able to save us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow to your idol. That's right. This is a powerful stand. And this has been the pattern throughout Daniel. The book of Daniel has this pattern. God's people have this this problem where they are given an opportunity to either compromise or to be boldly faithful in the face of trouble. And then the, the pattern goes on. They stand firm. And then God miraculously saves them. And then God gets the glory. So this is the the pattern we've seen through the book and we could have gone through the other chapters, but I want us to look together now at Daniel chapter six. We'll see that pattern unfold again. So now that you're comfortable in your seat, we always stand in honor of God's word. This will be the last time you stand for a minute. But will you stand as we read from the scriptures together? Daniel chapter six. This is the word of the Lord. It pleased King Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, there were three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, 
We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, 
Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's pray. Lord, you are mighty to save. You've shown your power many times throughout history and in our own lives. God, we do not buy into the self-help Savior ideas. We entrust ourselves wholly to the only Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, be glorified in your church. Speak through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We often think about stories like this one and immediately turn it into a self-improvement exercise, don't we? We immediately read about Daniel in the lion's den and we aim. We think that the aim of the Bible is to show us how to become better people. Dare to be a Daniel. Things like that, right? Be bold. Have the faith of Daniel. These are not terrible ideas. They're just not primary. What if I told you there's a greater way to read the Bible? You know, if we look only to Daniel as a good example, we will be weighed down trying to imitate his example, right? If we look only to him and try to emulate what we see there, we'll be depressed by our failure to perform like he did. But instead, if we see first in Daniel's story, a shadow of the true and better Daniel. Jesus Christ, we not only have a great example, but we have the perfect substitute. See, Jesus didn't come just to model the way. He actually came to be the way. There's a subtle distinction really between moralism and the gospel. Moralism focuses on your performance. You know, do better, be better. The gospel focuses on the person of Jesus Christ. And ironically, the truth is you can try your best to perform like Daniel and never truly know Jesus. But if you truly know Christ, you will begin to be more like Daniel. Isn't it interesting how that works? So when we open this book, our biggest question is not, you know, how do we fix ourselves? How do we improve ourselves? How do we become better Christians? Our biggest questions need to start here. Who is our God? So I want us to explore that truth. First, God is king. God is king. As we said, the whole book declares that God is the true king. No, We will not eat the scraps from your table. We will obey the dietary laws of our true king. Right? Chapter one. No, we will not bow down to your idol. We have one true king who deserves all worship 
and we will stand strong in him. Right. No, I will not stop praying to my king just because you want my petitions. O king, no matter the consequences, I will be faithful to pray to the one true king. This is the message we're seeing. It's the truth is God is king. I want you to see a contrast here. King Darius was manipulated, right? Because of his ego. You know, his, his other leaders saw Daniel. They envied Daniel. They didn't like Daniel because Daniel was a great guy, right? He was faithful to his God. He was honorable in everything he did. And King Darius was getting ready to elevate Daniel to the very top. And all the other guys were like, no, no, no. We're not going to have this exiled Jew over us in Babylon. No, no. So they looked and looked and looked and they couldn't find anything wrong with him. This is amazing. A politician can't find anything wrong with him, right? (laughs) Daniel in in government for 60 years and they couldn't get any dirt on the guy. I don't know if you know this, but Daniel at this point in his life is somewhere between 75 and 85 years old. Did you know that? A lot of people thought he was maybe a teenager or in his early 20s, a young man. That's the way I remember coloring him looking like that as a kid, right? This guy's young. No, this is an old man who has a lot of years. And in all of those years, he's been faithful. They can't find anything to get him. Well, the Dan, Daniel's enemies, they used the king to get what they wanted. You know, they came to Darius. Oh, Darius. King Darius lived forever. But their flattery was just a mask. They didn't really honor him. They wanted to destroy their enemy. So they get to him by way of his ego. And Darius decrees, uh, issues a decree that actually ends up tying his own hands, right? Darius was unable to help Daniel. But the distinction between an earthly king and the one true king is so clear, isn't it? God is not a man with the limitations of a man. God is never, will never be manipulated and God is never helpless. Instead, God worked this evil king's ego to expose the deceit of his leaders and advisors and to stir up so, fa- so much faith in King Darius, in a pagan king, that by the end of the chapter, he's preaching the glory of God to the nations. This is how God Almighty, King, works. Not to mention our God, that the one true king is more powerful than the appetites of the most ferocious animal, right? The plainest truth is that our king can stop the mouths of the king of the jungle, right? Of the lions. So God is king. Secondly, God gets all glory. I love this about Daniel. You, you would notice this if you just read through the whole book. You would see how quick he is to defer any honor, any praise. Even when he's interpreting the dream in chapter 2, he says, it's not by my wisdom. It's, it's by God. God wants you to know the meaning of your dream, O king. He's quick to defer the praise. But here we have it so clear. After God saves Daniel and judges his enemies, the pagan king has seen his own limitations and he's seen that God has none. 
So listen to his decree once again. And notice that his decree, King Darius issues a decree at the end to all peoples, all nations, all languages, that the God of Daniel is to be worshipped. I want to read it to you again. He says this, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Now, don't miss it. Here we have an earthly king leveraging his own voice to declare the glory of the one true king. Isn't that awesome? Now, this leads us to a third truth. God's victory is sure. God's victory is sure. So in the story, God miraculously shuts the mouths of hungry lions to save Daniel. And this is a convincing display of power. And the king is further convinced when he had the bad guys tossed in. And the lions ate them before they even hit the ground. So this proves that it's not just that the lions weren't hungry, right? A miracle has happened. Daniel couldn't have known for sure what would have happened in the lion's den. Do you know that? Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, our God is able to save us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, right, that the same heart there is, is kind of over this moment with Daniel. He couldn't have known what God would do in the lion's den. He couldn't have known. The truth we get from this text, we, it, it better not be. We, we best not interpret this passage to mean that if you're faithful to God, nothing bad will ever happen to you. We know that's not true, right? I mean, you know, in your own life, that's not true. We can read plenty of scripture and see that it's not true. Anyone telling you that is not telling you the truth. This story doesn't promise we won't face difficulty as Christians. If anything, it's just the opposite, wouldn't you say? I mean, Daniel was actually thrown into a den of lions. I would say this is pretty awful. The difference is that his God was with him. This story is pointing us, though, to a greater victory that we can bank on completely. And it is this. Daniel points us to Christ. Now, I don't know if you've seen it in the details. We're going to kind of skim over it quickly. But here it is. The Bible says that Daniel was faithful, right? And that they couldn't find any fault in him. Well, guess what? Jesus is the truly faithful one. And yet he was despised by men. Jesus was falsely accused. They conspired to take his life. It was a scheme that actually included the manipulation of political leaders like Pilate. Right? Pilate was trapped. He didn't want to be a part of Jesus' crucifixion. He tried to release Barabbas. Or he tried to get them to kill Barabbas instead of Jesus. But they would have nothing of it. Jesus was condemned to die a gruesome death also. 
You know, lions and a den of lions, what's the purpose of that kind of death? Well, certainly it's to instill fear and to take control. Wouldn't you agree? Well, the Romans used crucifixion for the very same purpose, to instill fear. It's a public display of the worst kind of suffering you've ever seen. To instill fear and to take control of people. Christ was also thrown into a den of death, wasn't he? And amazingly, his tomb was sealed with a stone also, right? And with a signet ring of the governing authorities. Human courts had sealed his fate, or so it seemed. And at daybreak, just as the king king came to check on Daniel... The women came to check on the body of Jesus. They were fully prepared to find a beaten and battered dead man. And instead, what did they find? Jesus is alive, right? Jesus himself said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead, right? This is huge. The cross and the tomb, which were meant to destroy Jesus, is actually how he destroys his enemies. Isn't that amazing? The glory of Jesus Christ, just like in the story of Daniel, the glory of the one true king is now the message that we proclaim to all nations, tribes and languages, right? To all peoples. The good news of salvation in Jesus is the message of hope for all the world. What did Jesus tell us to do? Make disciples what? Of all nations. This is our decree, our message to the world. So we see an amazing correlation between Daniel and Jesus Christ. But it's just a coincidence, right? Right? No. (laughs) I want us to look at this same beautiful parallel through Daniel's eyes. Here's what we see about Daniel. Daniel was courageous. You know, courage is the inner strength to persevere through difficulty or danger. Daniel certainly had to persevere through danger and difficulty. Knowing it could cost him his life, he was faithful to God. And Daniel's courage to overcome his fear of man came from a higher fear and awe of God as his one true king. He knew God is king. And so, yes, I will submit to you, king, so long as it doesn't mean I have to disobey the one true king. You know, this is how we're to operate in the world as well. Daniel's name, you might want to write this down if you find this kind of thing interesting, but it's, it's really cool. Daniel's name is actually three Hebrew words stuck together. Dan-i-el. Three Hebrew, Hebrew words stuck together. Dan-i-el. And it means this. God is my judge. That's amazing, isn't it? Because that's actually the banner over Daniel's life. God is my judge. King Darius, you might have a say and a rule in this place, but God is my judge. He knew he would answer to one supreme ruler, the king of all kings. So every decision was filtered through this reality. An earthly king banned him from praying 
to the eternal king. I wonder what would change in your life if you were forbidden to pray for 30 days? Would it even impact your prayer life? If expressing your faith would cost you your life, would you choose to just push pause on faith until the moment of crisis passes? So are you are you courageous or do you compromise? Daniel, you know, he could have compromised. He could have he could have said in his head, you know, it's just 30 days. I mean, God will understand. You know what? I'll just pray in the shower silently. It'll all be okay. He could have done that, right? But instead, Daniel chose to pray because, well, he believed a couple of things. He believed prayer is better than life. I mean, that really is his decision, right? He had to reckon in his mind. If I pray, I die. I think I'll pray. Maybe Daniel said to himself, I would rather die with God than live without him. Well, like Daniel, but even better, Jesus was courageous in the face of persecution, trial and death because his eyes were fixed on his father's will, not his own. Right. Jesus persevered when men threatened his life because he didn't come to please them. He came to save them. Jesus didn't come to please men, but to please the father. So Daniel and Jesus are courageous. We also see that Daniel was consistent. Daniel was consistent. He didn't decide to pray just because the king issued an order forbidding prayer. This is not a new development in Daniel's life. We see this clearly in verse 10. It actually details out how he goes to pray in his upper room of his house in front of the windows facing Jerusalem. And then it says this little phrase, as he had done previously. So this isn't just some act of rebellion or defiance against an earthly king's decree. Daniel had a habit of holiness. He prayed as he had done previously. So one takeaway we should get here is that moments of crisis do not create godly character. They reveal it. When the challenge comes, believe it or not, you will be the person you already are. You will compromise in crisis if you already compromise for convenience. But Daniel courageously prayed because it was who he had become in the everyday stuff of life. He expressed full and complete dependency on his God on a Monday. Never mind a king's decree. When it wasn't a hero moment for Daniel, when lions were not breathing down his neck, Daniel walked consistently with his God. Even more so with Jesus, right? Jesus was unwavering in faithful obedience and dependence on God. He constantly got away from everybody to pray. Even the night they came to arrest him, what was he doing? 
praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Daniel was courageous, he was consistent, but Daniel was condemned. Having done no wrong, they found a way to call him guilty. The king, like we said earlier, was trapped by his own evil decree. He could not help this innocent man. Much as he wanted to, he was trapped. And Daniel stood condemned. And even more than Daniel, Jesus was truly innocent. It's not just that people couldn't find fault in him. Jesus was innocent, sinless before God. He's the truly righteous one. And yet, condemned to die. Remember, not even Pilate could help him. And the last and greatest reality here is Daniel conquered. Daniel conquered. Now, if he were here, he would tell you it wasn't his strength or his skill that saved Daniel. He wasn't a lion whisperer, right? It was God who saved Daniel. He had faith in God even if he didn't survive. God would have been worth it anyway. The real test for Daniel actually came before the lion's den. The real test was whether or not he would compromise his faith just to preserve his life. But he did not. Daniel prayed as he had done before because he knew death with God is better than 30 days of life without him. Daniel was spared from death. Now listen, here's where Daniel and Jesus are different. Daniel was spared from death. But Jesus endured it to the end. But death wasn't the end for our Savior, was it? Jesus conquered death when he rose from the grave. Daniel is a good example for us with Courage and consistency in faithfully following God. But even greater, Daniel points us to the one true conqueror, Jesus Christ. God defeated hungry lions for Daniel. But in Christ, God has put every enemy under his feet. We look to the true and better Daniel, Jesus Christ. He's not only a good example for how we should live. He's the ultimate substitute who lived and died for us. Listen, church. Jesus has carried our load. And now he calls us to come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. We can rest in the victory of Jesus Christ. We rest in the finished work of Jesus and live Under the same banner that Daniel lived under. God is my judge. So so listen. I don't have to please you. I only want to please him. I don't ultimately answer to you. I will ultimately answer to him. I am not on my own mission. I've been sent by my king. And I want to do his will for his glory. This is the banner we get to live under in the name of Jesus Christ. Daniel was saved by God from the jaws of death. His life was spared. Jesus was not spared. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Jesus gave his life to save yours. He wasn't saved from death, but we are saved by his death. So Daniel's story points us to the ultimate hero, Jesus, right? The reason that you can be courageous in your faith is not because you're some super Christian, but because Jesus has done it all for you. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's a verse in Romans um, chapter 8, verse 11. I love it. It says essentially this the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Did you know that? As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. So you can, you are empowered through Christ to live for him because he died for you and lives again. So just as I talked with David a few weeks ago at Burger King, I want to say to us today, put all your hope in Jesus. You will never be good enough. But Christ has been. He has done it. He has done all that is needed to save sinners like us. And what we do is we put our hope in Christ and Christ alone. He empowers us to then go and live in the same way Daniel lived, where God is our judge. We can now live boldly in this world for the glory of the one true king.